0: Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on a cloudy day here in the capital as once again we put the topic of leadership under the spotlight. I'm Scott Chaloner and I'm delighted to be joined on today's program by Tim Hudart. Tim is a senior partner at H2 Glenfern, a strategic consultancy firm based right here in London. Tim, very warm welcome to you and thank you ever so much for taking the time to join us
1: passing
0: on. It's an absolute pleasure having you, Tim. Now, the purpose of this discussion is to really understand your take on leadership as a whole. So first and foremost, if we dive straight in and just look at that word leader in isolation, what does that word actually mean to you and how does it resonate?
1: I think leadership today is probably more important than at any stage, um, certainly in my lifetime. Um, uh, the COVID-19 outbreak has really, I think, focus people's attention on what leadership is all about. And I think, uh, to me, it can be summed up in two or three words. Um, and the first one um, is honesty. Um, I think there is a tremendous need for leaders to be honest um, about what is going on in the business world.
0: It's really been put to the test. I think it's fair to say at the moment, isn't it? Leadership and different business leaders have really had to go beyond their boundaries to meet this uh, pandemic and you mentioned um, actually the fact um, in um, the parliamentary review article that H2 Glenfern put together um, as well Tim that um, as a company you're very much about embracing change even though it can be very unsettling for businesses and what we've seen during this time is the pandemic really forcing the hand of businesses that have not modernised before to really adapt, be flexible and to innovate in order to meet the challenges that COVID-19 has posed. And um, Have you seen some of that within yourselves um, as well that you've had to to really adapt to your approach to sort of meet the challenges that have been caused by this?
1: Yes, I mean, I suppose the the overriding difference between today and 10 or 12 weeks ago when um, uh, we were all sort of sent home was that um, we have been working remotely. Um, mm. I haven't seen um, any of my colleagues, um, but I reckon I have had more interaction with them, both professionally and socially over the last 10 or 12 weeks than we ever did when we were in the office. Um, And the reason for that is that we have um, instilled a discipline that we have a morning call, which we invite everybody to. Um, We encourage everybody to participate in that call and let each other know what projects and thoughts that they have had. And they can be a music anecdote from what happened at dinner last night through to more substantive issues around uh, what they're seeing in the business world. The result of that has been that we have got a, a much greater understanding, I think, of what's happening in our client base and what's happening in our business. Um, and we have been able to respond accordingly to that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, it, it, interestingly, it has also shown up um, those people who um, perhaps struggle a little bit more um, sometimes to get their voice heard, um, and this has given them the opportunity to uh, um, uh, to talk out and uh, um, uh, to bring their, their thoughts to the, uh, the fore. But um, I've also seen a, a change in the way that corporates that we interact with have behaved. And I think one of the, the most interesting things is that if you read a lot of company statements um, uh, that are released on the you know, stock exchange at the moment, they will lead off by saying that you know, we're looking after our staff, et cetera, um, you know, in these uh, uncertain times. And um, after a while, when you read a lot of them, you realize that it's the same language being used time and time again, and it's sort of like a boilerplate answer. Um, When you then start questioning companies or look a little bit more, you begin to realize that there are those companies out there that are really looking after, whether it be their employees, whether it be their their customers, whether it be their suppliers, um, and really trying to go the extra yard to make things work in the way that they have to work in a, a changed environment, and those who are playing uh, somewhat more lip service to it. And I think that when this is all over, I think we will reflect back on those companies where you know, they really did adapt to these circumstances and show true leadership in what they were trying to do. And those were, unfortunately, possibly for their own uh, personal gains, they've taken a, um, a, a different route, and I think they will get be punished.
0: I would agree with that. I certainly think that we'll start to see um, a real distinction between uh, the approaches of uh, businesses and um, how they've sort of guided their way through this and the consideration that they've shown their uh, staff and personnel, especially. Um, There are some really important points to actually take away from that, Tim, the fact that there's been some real leadership from a distance shown today. Um, Of course, um, we've taken that human contact uh, for granted. But in fact, this period has brought us closer together due to the fact that technology is helping us keep the communication channels open. Communication, of course, being a very important Important element of leadership, and it's proven critical. I mean, that leader's role of providing vital reassurance during times of adversity and uncertainty, such as this, as well, hasn't it? Because people will be looking to their leaders for a little bit of calm and a little bit of understanding and an idea of what's to come. And even though there's a lot of uncertainty, leaders have generally dealt with the challenge quite well and the pressure of keeping that reassurance flowing. And haven't they? I I would say. Yeah,
1: I mean, I think. When you look across you know um all um walks of life I you see leadership in you know perspectives in all sorts of different ways um it can be the way you know, communities have rallied around to um organize um food deliveries for those that be you know less fortunate um um it can be the way that uh, um supermarkets um you know, instituted um an hour a day for um key workers to be able to shop in uh, in relative calmness. Um, uh, there have been lots of good examples of how things have really come together um, uh, and um, for the benefit of the uh, of, of society as a whole. And I think one of the challenges that I think we have faced for a long time is I think people have understood, really since David Attenborough, Blue Planet perhaps, um, that the environment needed saving. Um, mm. And we've had a lot of good work around um, uh, the environmental lobby over the last few years. Um, in the business world, corporate governance has often meant um, uh, um, about executive pay, and I think that's been dealt with very effectively um, um, uh, and a series of different measures. But I think the bit that people have always struggled with is what does the, what does the social bit of ESG mean? And I think that what we've seen over the last um, few weeks is people really beginning to understand that people do matter lives matter, the way you treat them, the uh, the respect that you give them, um, uh, and the voice that you give them has uh, has, has mattered enormously. And I think that if we can take one thing forward from uh, the last few weeks is that uh, we have got to listen much more to um, what our employees are saying, uh, um, what our customers are saying, what our suppliers are saying, and make sure that uh, um, we do actually listen and act, because I think And um, not in tune with the rest of the orchestra.
0: I think that's an incredibly important point um, rightfully so Tim because um, there is a renewed focus at this point in time on sustainability as you'd say and I think as we enter the new normal that will be one of the big changes that we do see but also that importance on mental health and well-being and the need to listen to those around us but also as you mentioned earlier empower them and give them the confidence to take on their own form of leadership and have their voices heard as well because ultimately that's how people develop isn't it being willing to sort of let their voices be heard try one or two new things. And even if they suggest something or try something that doesn't quite necessarily work out, then that's a learning experience, isn't it? And that's another way that we um, can hope to develop into effective leaders by sort of maybe having one or two setbacks along the way and embracing that.
1: Yeah, I go back to, you know, what I was saying in my own business in the the morning calls that we have. And, um, you know, the the fact that everybody every morning gets asked, um, you know, um to participate. Um in a way that never would have happened um when we were in the office because people would just come in as they do in the morning, make their cup of tea or coffee, sit down at their desk and get on with the project in hand. Whereas now at ten o'clock every morning we have a, a a team gathering and um everybody, um, without exception, is asked have they read, seen, heard or, or done anything um which they want to share? And it's been fascinating um uh, just watching people actually grow, I suspect, you know, on the screen a little bit, um, but just, you know, have that confidence. And it's something that, you know, I've been in business for the best part of 40 years now, and um, I have to say I think that it has really become a um, uh, a weakness that we just, um, we have too many hierarchies out there, and that structure doesn't allow people to, uh, um, and just because you're young and inexperienced, it doesn't mean to say that you don't have a good idea. So, I hope it's something that, certainly in our business, we can continue. You know, when we do get back to the office. But more importantly, I hope in the wider community, where again I think this has been evidenced by and certainly where I live up in the Cotswolds, it's been the young who so have been really, really active in terms of um, the sort of community, spirit so can keep uh, keep these things going in the uh, in the future.
0: And with regards to the younger generations, do you think that we do need to encourage them to perhaps be willing to try new things and be willing to make mistakes? Because I think sometimes we see a little bit of a fear of failure amongst some, don't we? And that's maybe why some are afraid to maybe have their voices heard at times, just in case their idea is going to be rebuffed or it's just not simply going to work. Yes, I mean, it's uh,
1: um, a father of two young workers, um I you know, I see the stresses and strains that um uh that we put our youngsters under. Um I think there's a tremendous desire to see people conform. Um and I think particularly um you know, in the uh in the business world I think that you know, you know we have learning programs and what have you but there's a danger that if we're not careful that we just produce more of the same. Um and I think individuality is something to be encouraged. Um, so I really do hope that um, you know when, uh, um, as I say, when we do get back to normal, we we actually take you know, notice of what has happened and take notice of the fact that um, just because people don't necessarily have the experience, doesn't mean to say they don't have the ideas. Um, and I think that if we can embrace a much wider um, um, group um, and avoid group.
0: And based upon all of those years of experience that you do have in the, uh, the business world, Tim, if you were to personally give some advice to maybe someone of the younger generation who is about to start their first day in a leadership role within business, what sort of advice would you have to give them?
1: I think the most important thing that I've learned over my business life is to be able to listen. Um, I think it's incredibly important to hear what's going on around about you, um, whether that's be So in a uh, a meeting, you know, watching and listening to what people are saying and then choosing your focus.
0: That's incredibly sound advice indeed, Tim, and maintaining that focus um, on the future before we do wrap things up on the uh, the programme today. What do you envision for yourself and for H2 Glenfern over the next 12 to 18 months and what do you hope to achieve as hopefully we move through this COVID-19 situation and emerge from the other side and really do begin to look toward the long-term future?
1: Um. This may sound really strange um, uh, for a business, but um, I want to be able to feel and touch my colleagues again. Um, uh, you know, we have been working remotely. Um, there is nothing better than actual physical contact, and I think that it's something we have all missed. And so I think that when we're over, I, I think we will you know, once again be able to, to embrace each other um, uh, and really enjoy um, people's company in a way that, that I think everybody has missed. But I think, you know, from a business point of view, I think that the, the most important thing is that, you know, um, businesses are adapting. Um, uh, I think that I personally used to spend an awful lot of time on airplanes um, uh, going in and out of Europe. Um, it has to me that that is not necessary. Um, I can do a lot of the work from uh, um, uh, remotely in the uh, in the first instance. Um, so I think we need to learn from that and learn to adapt things. Um, I'm I'm optimistic. I don't think that we will go back to um, doing everything we, uh, the same way as we were. I think particularly areas like the High Street, which has been under enormous pressure um, prior to uh, COVID-19, um, will change again. Um, I hope we will learn to adapt. Um, and by that, I mean that It adult- doesn't.
0: let's certainly hope so uh tim uh, for sure and um i think um it's a shame that we're really just about out of time on the program this morning or of course we could speculate as to what the future holds uh, for the entirety of the morning and i'm sure it's a very fascinating topic but i think as we begin to understand in the next few months what this new normal is going to uh, look like it would be great to actually catch up and have you back on the program just to see how the business is adapting and just see what some of those changes are that have been brought in i think from a listener's perspective that would be wonderful Lovely. Well, thank you very much for asking me on. Thank you, Tim, for taking the time to join us. And um, most importantly, do take care and do stay safe with everything still going on with this because we're not out of the woods yet, of course. And it has been an absolute pleasure having you on the air with us. Thank you very much. That was Tim Huddart speaking, senior partner at H2 Glenfern. Coming up next on the programme today, I'll be handing over to Jonathan White for his exclusive interview with Sir Andrew Strauss. Sir Andrew is a former England cricketer and currently is the director of cricket for the England and Wales Cricket Board. During his playing days, he became one of only three England captains to have secured the Ashes, both at home and away in Australia. And he is also the England skipper with the second highest number of test victories under his belt in history. I hope you enjoyed Enjoy listening just as much as Jonathan enjoyed speaking with Sir Andrew, and that is coming up next.
2: Hello and welcome. I'm Jonathan White, and today we are joined by Sir Andrew Strauss, former captain of the England cricket team and former director of cricket at the ECB. Sir Andrew, thank you very much for joining us today.
3: Real pleasure to be here. Thank you.
2: The pleasure is all of ours. You know, Andrew, you've had a distinguished career, as I said, both on and off the pitch in English cricket, recognised not least ashes series is one of the greatest sporting moments of this country's history now we could chat for hours about that but i know uh i wouldn't be allowed to and 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 you've got (laughs) other places to be so (laughs) we can't do that but i if i may i would love to ask what your highlight was personally for that but perhaps more importantly um as a team how were you able as a group to deal with the pressure no doubt you were feeling
3: yeah well the the pressure is like nothing else that i experienced before or after because you know i think it's easy to forget how how much of a holy grail the ashes was mm. back then you know we hadn't won it for so long and it seemed like we'd come up against these invincible australian teams year after year so you know the the closer we got to it the harder it became um i remember ashley Giles walking into the dressing room for the f- i think it was in, The final day of the series, and I looked at him, and he looked absolutely (laughs) terrible—like just white of a sheet, grey. He looked like aged about five years. I went, "God, Charlie, you're not looking too good." And he went, "Yeah, it's not surprising. I haven't slept for eight weeks." (laughs) And I went, "Well, join the club." You know, I think we'd all been sort of living this behind our own closed doors, and um, yeah, it was just an extraordinary thing. And uh, without doubt, the the highlight was number one drawing that game at the oval yes. to make sure we 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 won the Ashes, but also the day after, you know, that open top bus parade around London and to understand that we'd broken out of the cricket bubble, that that just general sports fans or just people that were interested in in seeing England win at something were all engaged and uh, completely besotted by the whole thing. I think that's
2: such a key point now because there's, there's so there were so many people back in two thousand five that may have
3: players focus and interest Um, and we had to move in fact we didn't have to move at times we need to get ahead of the time (laughs) so you know we had to completely shift out both our philosophy but also the way we played in order to do that Um, and I was very lucky uh, having both Trevor Bayliss and Owen Morgan who were prepared to sort of role model that and lead that through Um, and the second part of your question around the World Cup final was quite extraordinary.
2: I know some fantastically avid cricket fans who were Googling there and then what exactly the rules became. Because I yeah, well, so was, <laughs> it I, was I, actually. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, now, Andrew, in your, in your wife's memory, you established the Ruth Strauss Foundation last year. Uh, in doing so, whether you'd admit it or not, yourself and the foundation has become an inspiration to thousands, husbands and wives, mothers and fathers, sons and daughters. Please do take some time, if you wouldn't mind, you
3: in the English summer, uh, just like the McGrath Foundation days yes. in, in Sydney and in Australia.
2: Well, it's been a complete inspiration, um, and uh, i very much hope sure we can talk about that perhaps late in a few months as well. Absolutely. Um, before we go as I'm conscious of the time, we uh, it's also an exciting year for domestic cricket, um, not least uh, because of the introduction of the 100, not without its critics, so I should. Andrew, I know you're uh, a big proponent of it. Um, the Blast has clearly shown... Um,